Some of us might need two. Got plenty here, folks. Um, it's a great honor to uh, have the opportunity to speak tonight. Um, it's a little warm. I know it, and I'm sorry. Um, I think I'd recognize most of the faces here, so we're good. I'm just going to pretend that we're in my family room. It's cooler there. Um, before we start, I'd like to pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we pray to you tonight that you would, um, that you would use me to, to preach to those who need to hear your word. Uh, we all have something that we can take from hearing your word tonight, and, and I just pray that you would speak to us individually, convict us, help us to repent, uh, cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and that you would uh, do that work in our hearts. We also pray for our missionary team, Natalie, Anna, Gabe, Seth, Aaron, Celia, Emily, Aiden, Olivia, Joey, Matt, Randy, and Noah, who are um, down in El Paso uh, and in Mexico um, ministering. We just pray that you would do a work there, that your, uh, that your spirit would go forth and, and powerfully transform lives. We pray for their safety. We pray that they come back in good health, that you would move in your spirit, and we pray that, you would, that they would be moved mightily by God and that, that many lives, including their own, would be changed through this ministry. Um, Lord, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your word. We praise you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so this is my first time in front of a large crowd like this. Um, I, I pray that you would pray for me, <laughs> that uh, that the Lord would use my mouth. Uh, even in a loving fellowship like this, it's easy to write something. It's an entirely different thing to, to, to deliver it in front of a, a group of people. Um, but tonight we're going to be doing a topical teaching. I mean, I'm not here very often, so or ever. <laughs> so it's, it's got to be topical. We're going to start uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. But uh, we're going to be bouncing around a lot. So I hope you all got your coffee. Uh, it's going to be a workout. Um, I'll try to go slow enough that we can all switch pages and go to, to many of these verses. But some of them, it's just going to be uh, cumbersome to do so in the time that we've got allotted. So um, I encourage you to take notes. I encourage you to go back and study further on, on what we're talking about here tonight. So in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse two, verse 1 and go through verse 10. I will just read through it here. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. 
and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ, Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. I'd like to kind of dissect these a little bit, just have a, a few small comments on each one of these verses. Um, but the intent is that we understand from where we come. And you he made alive, verse 1, who were dead in trespasses and sins. We must always remember where we come from. Not in regret or to look back and pine for days gone by, but to remind ourselves how how far that God has carried us. Verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The spirit spoken of here, the spirit of the power of the air, is Satan. Verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Remember that each one of us walked as sons and daughters of disobedience according to the course of the world, the course that the world sets. Praise God that we're no longer slaves to that disobedience. It doesn't mean that our sinful nature doesn't tempt us, but we're not slaves to it. So we were children of disobedience. In verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, but God... There are very few phrases in the Bible that give me as much hope than this phrase, but God. Verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. God, by his great mercy and love for us, delivered us by his grace from our dead trespasses and made us alive in Christ. Amen. Verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not only did we die to our former selves and the sin which enslaved us, but we were raised up in righteousness with Jesus, resurrected to a new life, eternal life in Christ. Verse 7. In that Excuse me, that in the ages, ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The riches we may experience in Christ Jesus here on earth don't compare to the exceeding riches that are being prepared for us in heaven. Just remember that these riches that are in heaven are not material riches. They're spiritual. They're of God. Verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, 
by grace through faith. Nothing of, our, of ourselves is part of our salvation. It is, by the, by, it is all a gift from God. The grace is his as well as the faith that he gives us to believe. Salvation is entirely of God. Verse 9 tells us it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. The salvation offered by God does not require any work from us. No obedience or work of the flesh on our part adds any value to our salvation. God has purchased our salvation for us through Christ's death on the cross and in his resurrection. Nothing, not baptism, not communion, no service to others, no ritual, no religion, and no prayer adds to our salvation. Nothing we do can add to the saving work which Christ did on the cross that day. We must only believe and trust God's word that it is true. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is the workman who does the work. He resurrects believers in Christ Jesus to do the work which he sends us out to do. In fact, this verse tells us that he prepared the works for us beforehand. Think about this. Actually, let me back up. Excuse me. The Greek word here, I'm going to attempt this, proetoimazo. It means essentially to be prepared from eternity, from before the foundations of the world. So these works that God does have been prepared for us to walk in since before the foundations of the world. If we're a believer, God saved, God saved me. Praise God. He didn't need anything from me. He didn't need anything from you. Period. Once you believed in him and you repented. What does it mean to repent? Repentance is a turning, a change of mind. It's a changing of agreement with sin to an agreement with God. Once you believed in him and God began a work in you that he has promised to complete, he's prepared works for you to walk in which are not your own. They're, they're prepared for you by God from eternity for his glory alone. This salvation is the most humbling thing there is. There's nothing there from me. There's nothing there from you. It's all of God. I don't know about you, but these things make me eager to serve the Lord in whatever capacity he allows me. Now, this is some pretty heavy stuff. I've been going to church here long enough to see that Tom tries to lighten the mood with some stories. Here's my attempt. It's a dad joke. Why did the shark cross the reef? Anybody? To get to the other tide. No applause? No drums, James? Okay. Why all this detail on where we came from, on our salvation and on good works? Well, we do this in order to see that after God has done all this for us, we can, we can know that he won't simply leave us to wander 
in our newborn infancy. His promise is to work in and on us and through us. He's going to grow us until we're perfected. That's his promise. This should give us great hope and reassurance in him that he would not do all this and then leave us to languish on our own. Even when we stumble in sin, he doesn't give up on us. He gives us forgiveness through the blood of Christ to confess and to be cleansed of sin. If you can do it quickly, go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. One of my favorite verses here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He's faithful, meaning that he will fulfill the promise to do so. He's just, meaning that it satisfies his justice to do so because of the, the price Christ paid on the cross. Not only is he going to forgive us our sins, but he's going to cleanse us. It's a complete washing away of our sins, of all unrighteousness. His plan for you is not yet complete. Trust and hope in him. Even when the things you're dealing with in your life seem like you can't bear them, call out to Jesus. Uh, it'd probably be relatively easy to go to Jeremiah chapter 29. It's right after Isaiah. Chapter 29, verse 11. It tells us that he will hear us when we cry out to him. And we will find him when we look for him. That verse reads, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says God, or says the Lord, excuse me. Um, And in the NIV, that's translated as, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Again, a promise. Proverbs 18.10. It reminds us to run to the Lord every time for protection. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. Are you going through a trial in your life? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because we'd all have our hands up. We're all going through a trial of one type or another. We're all going through something that challenges our faith, something that's a temptation, something that may be a devastating thing, health, finances, marriage, They're all out there. But I hope these words may help. The question often asked is, why does God allow hard times and bad things to happen to us? If God loves me, won't he keep bad things from happening to me? Actually, the Bible tells us the opposite, that God, in our times of trial, is right there with us trying to reveal himself to us. Joshua 1.9 is a very popular verse. It reads, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and good and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you 
wherever you go. Amen. Most times what God reveals to us in our tribulations is the truth that we are insufficient in ourselves. He's actually showing us the weakness of our minds, the folly of our wisdom, and the impotence of our strength. God reveals to us during these times that without him, we are threadbare and bankrupt. Trials can teach us, if we're listening, to rely on him for deliverance. Humbly looking to him for the provision of the strength that we finally realize we're lacking in ourselves. We, we are strong only when we realize that any strength that we have is from God. People often say that God will not, follow, excuse me, will not allow us to go through more than we can handle. We've all heard that. But I see, it that, I see that as false. God will allow us to go through more, much more than we can handle alone. So that in our time of need, that we will call out to him. When we're brought to our knees, when we're at the end of ourselves, we cry to him. We run to him, the strong tower. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lay that burden on him. He's promised to carry it. Let's go to Psalms 18. If you can find that, it's right before Proverbs. Psalms chapter 18. I'm only going to read three verses. Verse 3, or verse 2, verse 3, and verse 6. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. In my distress, I call upon the Lord and I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him, even to his ears. That's a, that's a prayer of one who is bankrupt, one who's been humbled, one who's on their knees, either figuratively or spiritually or, or, or literally. They've come to the end of themselves and they're calling out for God to help. And he's promised to do so. When we finally surrender and lay our burdens on him, instead of handling it ourselves, we all want to do that. We want to control it. We, we want to handle it. We want to make sure that we've got control, that we don't lose control. That's a hurdle for us. When we finally do what the scripture tells us to do and trust in the Lord and be still and know that he is God. That's when we trust that he is the sovereign God and Lord of all. That's when we believe in his promises. That's faith in God. Only then can we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, grow in our faith and help others to do the same. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's an instruction. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Let go of the wheel. Let him do it. Psalm forty six ten. Be still and know that I am God. 
So God will allow believers to go through these trials in order to bring us to a better understanding of him. These trials are not punishment from God. He promised that as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, we are no longer children of wrath. We read that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 earlier. We're no longer children of wrath. God's punishment doesn't rest on our shoulders. No trials that we face, the trials that we face are often of our own making, quite frequently, and are for our correction and for our instruction. When we correct our children, we do it in love. God chastens and corrects us because he loves us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. It's a great section of scripture, but I'm only going to read verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Back to Proverbs 3. 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. You guys feeling the workout right now, flipping those pages? Fear not. God will deliver all of us through trials. He has promised us that he will provide what we need. If we believe in him, we put our trust in him. Those are his promises to us. Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 26. We can, we can go there because it's pretty quick and easy to find. It's the first book of the New Testament. Chapter 6, verse 25. These two verses, 25 and 26, give us pretty clear reassurance. Therefore, I say to you, and this is Jesus speaking. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will wear or what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? So why do you worry about clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? What a question. Jesus is asking, who do you think you are? Do you think you're worth less than the smallest of creatures in my creation? I don't speak for God, but that's the question he's asking. Certainly we are. Elsewhere in Hebrews, it tells us that we're Sons, of da- sons and daughters, joint heirs with Christ. Although, of course, he's going to provide for us. Although his provision doesn't always take the form of what we think we need or when we need it or when we think we need it. God knows the truth. Even when we hide it from ourselves, as we grow and we walk in the spirit and not in our flesh, God changes our hearts and our minds to agree with his will instead of rebelling against him. He will give us new, new desires, new thoughts to go with our new life in Christ. Let's all turn now to Luke chapter 13.
verses 6 through 9. He also also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. To understand this parable, we, we need to understand who's who in this parable. The man here, the vineyard owner, is God. The keeper of the vineyard is Jesus. The tree is we believers, you and me. The digging around and the fertilizing of the roots is the chastening and correction of the tree. Once fertilized, we'll either grow to produce fruit or we won't. Jesus is offering to loosen your soil and to fertilize you. Will you grow and bear fruit? Another way to look at this is that some have faith in Jesus but they have ignorance of doctrine. This is the natural way of a new believer in Jesus Christ. Reborn as a new creation. Eventually the babe in Christ must grow. We must grow beyond milk. The basic things of faith. Salvation, baptism, repentance from sin. These are all the basic milky things that the Bible teaches us. Beyond that is solid food, solid doctrine. To grow from immaturity to maturity, to go beyond those basic principles of faith, to learn discernment, how to tell between good and evil. Without this growth, we're vulnerable to false teaching and false doctrine. Hebrews chapter 5. Let's go there. It's near the back. Right before James, right after Colossians, right after Timothy, we're going to Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. First, the foundation of faith in Christ. Then the growth begins. This growth occurs over time and is not immediate. What are the oracles of God? It's the scriptures, the Bible. The first principles are those basic things of faith that I just mentioned. The solid food is the doctrine derived from the scriptures. Solid doctrine. Isaiah 28 
verses 9 through 10, explains this in more detail. That growth process. That teaching. Verse 9 says, Whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk? The answer that's implied here is no, not those who are just weaned from milk. Those just drawn from the breasts? Again, a no. Verse 10, for precepts must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. You, you can't go from a newborn babe in Christ to you name it. It's, it's a little bit here and a little bit there. We, we learn through hearing the word of God. We learn through studying the word of God. We learn through being taught by the Holy Spirit and by shepherds in our church. This is built over time. It takes time. Understanding does not come all at once. When we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit within us as a teacher. However, with, as with anything, we must learn over time. Repetition. God uses our trials to help us grow. As our understanding grows, so does our faith. Once empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Bible calls him the helper, we have a teacher. And he will open our hearts and our minds to reveal the truth of the word of God to us. The scriptures will no longer be dull and dry and hard to understand. Now the words on the page jump out at us and grab a hold of us. Over time, we hold greater and greater understanding that was previously impossible. God is speaking to us through his word. That's growth. That's maturity. Are you growing? We need to lay down our pride and our desire to feel in control of every situation. We must surrender our will to that of our king. Trust that God will provide us with the means of perseverance and growth in our faith. Although we may be brought low by our trials, we must trust that he loves us and he will provide for us exactly what we need and exactly when we need it. In his timing and not necessarily in our timing or understanding. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 5, 3 through 5. We also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character. Are you sensing a theme here? One thing building on another? Perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Similar verses in James chapter 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. What were those verses in Hebrews talking about? By reason of use, having our senses exercised. That's what's happening here. The testing of our faith, it produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What makes us perfect and complete? Is it our testing and our trials? It's our perseverance that continues in endurance. Let's go to 
Second uh, Timothy chapter three. Let's all turn there. Similar verse. These verses in James tell us that they that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. These verses in Second Timothy chapter three also tell us that. Verse sixteen and seventeen. All scripture is given by God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man, and I add women, of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we, through reading the scriptures, can be, what does it say, complete and thoroughly equipped, don't we know for certain that the scripture is complete and thorough? Amen. I don't have a way to wrap this up tonight. I just leave it hanging out there. Get in your Bibles. Get in prayer. Spend time in the Word and grow. Let Jesus dig around your roots, fertilize you, that your faith would grow. Let's end in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time tonight. We thank you for this building and the opportunity to, to attend this service. And even though we're hot and sweating, um, we thank you for, for your message tonight. We thank you for those who were able to, to attend on, on this very hot day. Um, again, we pray for Tom and his family for perseverance and strength and peace, comfort in their work and their ministry to you. Um, we pray that uh, you would continue to, to work in this church, to grow us, to encourage us, and to strengthen our faith. We thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.